sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. Yo, 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 welcome to Season 7, I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. I am Trevor D. Welcome back to Keep, Keep on Tolkien. Yeah. Hell yeah, I love that opening excerpt. It's straight out of the movies and I could just see yeah. like Viggo Morton's character yeah. yelling that out. And this is a perfect one to just jazz you up over like, yeah, men. Not like dudes, but like the race of men, you know what I mean? Like includes women. Yeah, as you were saying, yeah, yeah, the whole race of men, everybody, men of the West, men of the West, yeah, hell yeah. I just, I just keep thinking of the music, the score from the movie. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, that's why I had to just take that. I was like, I could find something from the text, but no, let's go from the movie. I feel like that's one of the easiest like uh, excerpts you could have picked too, just because it, it is one of those things you can hear him. Like it's yeah. so in, yeah. in your mind. Like, yeah. I feel like almost anyone could pinpoint anyone who's at least like what grew up with those movies and stuff would instantly pinpoint that. Yeah. That's a Vigo. But the reason that we chose that excerpt is because we're talking about the race of men. Yeah. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the race of men. And this is a one of two. This turned out to be two episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information. It started, it started as one like damn near 40 page outline. So we split it into two episodes, guys. Yeah, it turns out there was a lot more uh, history behind the race of men than we had previously thought. Yeah. So we're going to cover the first stage, through the first stage in this episode. Yes. Yes. Today is the first stage. But let's let's get started a little bit. When we t- we're talking about men, let's get a little more specific. What do we mean? So we're talking about men, the sentient race of beings created by Ilavatar. They're technically the second born children of Ilavatar. Yeah, and they're first mentioned in the Ainulindale. Everybody loves that, right? The Song of Creation. So uh, today for part one, we'll be discussing the origins of men and the history of men throughout the first age, as we said before. Let's get into some names and titles. Yeah, so a few names for the race of men. We have the uh, children of Ilavatar. Uh, they're also called the Atani, which is Quendi for secondborn. Uh, there's also Hildor, which is Quenya for followers. They also have been known as the Apanoar. How do you, is that how you say that word? Apanonar. Yeah, Apanonar. Right. That's a fun one. Uh, yeah. Which in Quenya means afterborn. Yeah. Uh, they're also known as secondborn or the younger children of Ilavatar. Yeah, sometimes they're called the strangers. The usurpers, also the ephedrine, which sounds like a allergy medication, but it sure does, yeah. Uh, but it's actually actually uh, means followers in Cinderin. and ephedrim is just uh, people of the followers. Gotcha. Yeah, 
They've also been known as the Firamar, which is Quenya for mortals. The Engwar, which is Quenya for the sickly. That's That seems more derogatory. That's kind of impolite. We also got the self-cursed, the guests, the inscrutable. I like that one. The heavy-handed, Ooh. the night-fearers, and the children of the sun. Yeah. Praise Big, the sun. Praise the sun. Mm. Big, long list of names for these folks. I really like those last This is a very three. broad episode, you know? It's a very uh, umbrella-type fucking episode. So The heavy-handed, the night-fearers, the children of the sun. They're all so significantly different, like in what they actually describe, which mm-hmm. is it's just pretty cool. It, it kind of just already like we have such a broad spectrum that the, like the race of men fits into. Yeah, there's actually way more terms for men than I actually thought there were. Yeah, me but too. But I guess that just is to be expected. You know, no, I did not know that. Am I surprised that there are a million different terms for men? No, no, not at all. <laughs> there's <laughs> one <laughs> excerpt that I, I didn't put in here, but it literally says like half of that list just in like one sentence. Oh my! Okay. And wow. I was like, nobody wants to read that. That's so, wow. They uh, come from a lore master. Like that's a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's from somewhere in the Silmarillion, I think. So let's get into the origins of men. It starts all the way back. At the Anya like we said, the creation song. Yeah, the beginning of everything, the beginning of time itself. Okay, guys. So we're going to do probably the most brief recap of the Anya that you'll ever hear, right? This is like Campbell's condensed version yes. of the Anya There's actually going to be a few times we give you some condensed versions of stories in, in this, this episode. episode. And you've you got to mix the water yourself or the milk. You yeah. know? <laughs> the milk? <laughs> yeah. Mix it yeah, in. If you're you, making tomato soup with the condensed, oh, you've, done that. you've never done I've that? I've never done that. Oh, my God. It always says out. that on the can. If you want creamier soup, use a cup of I've milk. Never, of I never buy condensed Damn, soup. Damn, dude. Yeah. It's you're, good. you're missing the fuck out dude mm. uh, yeah <laughs> so this is campbell's condensed anya lindale guys um so yeah what is the anya lindale it's the song that created the universe in the tolkien legendarium that you know the setting yeah and it is quite literally a song uh, a song sung by the ainur under the direction of the one god ilvatar yeah who is the creator also known as eru and after the music stops ilvatar shows them a vision of all that the song has would uh bring into being this is known as the vision of Ilavatar. And the Ainur essentially go about the rest of their uh, lives just seeking to bring that vision into being. Into being, To create yeah. that vision that they saw. Yeah. And that's it, guys. That's condensed version. Yeah, Short, that is short a, and sweet. That is an incredibly condensed version of creation. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know more, we have uh, pretty much in any episode of anybody that's an uh, that's Ainur. So Saruman, Gandalf, oh, Sauron. Yes. We talk about it in many, many different episodes. So just... Go back to the backlog. Um, so yeah, we also want to re- we want to introduce a new segment here that we're calling Trev Check. Trev checks. Trev yeah. check. This is going to integrate Trevor more uh, into the uh, the overall episodes, which is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah. So rather than us blabbing back and forth infinitely, we we're get looking some, for a conversation. Yeah, we get some Trev conversation because that's what he's best at. So we find Trevor um, in his role in the podcast to be the voice of the less knowledgeable Tolkieners, and we mean that most respectfully. Yeah, and we love all the things Tolkien, and we want to make sure that all of our listeners can keep up with some of the heavy topics and some of the more dense material. And that's where Trevor comes in. So we will be checking in with Trevor every now and then, and he will be asking clarifying questions or thoughts on the content. So let's get right into it. First, Trev check. All right, guys. So we just went over the Anulindale, which is a really fun word to look at. Um, but you say it's the, the story of creation through song. What, what do you mean specifically? 
Well, yeah, it's literally music, man. It's a it's a it's a literal melody and lyrics fucking song. And Eru yeah. uh, he originally created the Ainur, the the angelic or the holy ones. Uh, and he taught them how to sing. That was like how they communicated. Yeah, that was like kind of the first thing to really happen. He created all the Ainur angelic folk, and then he was like, "We're singing. Let's do it." But Trevor got a uh, got a good point here the other day, being the science nerd that he is. How could they sing in space? With no vacuum, yeah. you know, or with no How air. How could they be making music music before the existence of air for sound vibrations and before the existence of time itself? <laughs> yeah, time, light, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of these things are pretty necessary. For how could you have a time signature without time? Without yeah, time. Trevor. Trevor's real role on the podcast is just tear holes in Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> So the music that they made was actually, it became the whole history of everything, the whole history of the world and the universe and everything. Yeah. So would you say that Ilavatar was kind of like a like a conductor? How, how did he go about this? Uh, yeah, totally. He gave them, uh, he started like specific themes or melodies um, for them to follow. Yeah, these themes were actually very important when it comes to the history of men. So they were actually in total three separate themes or melodies that uh, Ilavatar had begun and introduced to the to the Ainur to sing. Yeah, the first and th- second themes are uh, ruined by the discord of Melkor. Melkor and his buddies singing off-key or some shit. Yeah, and then the third theme, uh, by the time it came around, there was so much discord that the third theme was actually pretty much incomprehensible to the rest of the Ainur. It was a musical mess. That seems kind of weird, right? Because the Ainur are, are sort of kind of gods right mm-hmm. right um, yeah definitely so when you say it's like incomprehensible what do you think that means well the third theme is what told uh, the part of the history that told the, the the history of the children of Ilavatar, which would be elves and men yeah i mean i think it was just kind of incomprehensible again because of the discord but it, because it was incomprehensible nobody saw the coming of the children of Ilavatar from the third theme and yeah this is why the destiny of men is not predetermined or it is it's not known by the Valar. Yeah, even to the Valar, it is unknown. They were unable to comprehend that part of the, the song, the third theme. Yeah. I, I kind of like how you guys say it's like the, the history. It's almost as if it's all predetermined. But, like like uh, Calvinism. Like like what? Like Calvinism. Like Cal- yeah, it's, it's a yeah. religion joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's, it, but this is sort of like saying it's not, it's not predetermined and it's unknown even to the Valar, but like you say it's the history. It almost is saying it's like fate. It is sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. So it is kind of like it is predetermined, but they don't know it because they weren't able to comprehend it. It was too much. The third thing was too incomprehensible for them, so they they missed that part. Yeah. yeah. So, so so elves and men to the Ainur are like miracles. They love it. Yeah, they're f- super fascinated by them. They could have never imagined them. They never saw them coming, kind of thing, and they love them. Yeah, I feel like that kind of just reminds me of how like quantum mechanics breaks down determinism. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yes, let's. Yes, thank you, Trevor. <laughs> this magical concept. Let's does, break does, it down into quantum mechanics. Does the token yeah. world have That's Middle true. Earth quantum mechanics? That's Trevor, science nerd. <laughs> he spends all day on YouTube watching science videos. That's about half true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the children of Ilavanta themselves. All right. So the firstborn, the elves, right? Yeah, so we can't talk about the second born without talking about the first born. The elves, they're immortal unless slain, and they, have, uh, they, they know no sickness or really any affliction, and they are more or less bound to the earth itself, the physical earth. How do you mean bound to the earth? How, how could they be bound to it? Well, they are more or less the world made sentient, if that m- makes sense. They're more part of the world than dwelling in it. 
Kind of like we are the observers of our own universe. Well, it's kind of like how humans are on Earth. We're really the planet-made sentient. We're not. Yeah. We weren't dropped off here by you know an alien, at least as far as we know. <laughs> um, yeah, we're part of the planet. You know? We we are one yeah. with nature. Yeah, kind of in a similar concept. It would be like the way that the ants are like sentient versions of the trees. They're right. like extensions of plant life. The, they're taking that a little bit further, and they're saying that essentially elves are like that but for the entire physical world they're right. bound to the physical world mm-hmm. and upon being slain they go to the house of mandos to await reincarnation or the last battle whatever comes first i actually don't think i realized that elves would be reincarnated mm-hmm. yeah oh, several yeah. elves are reincarnated uh, one of which is glorfindel uh the most yeah. famous of which right yeah Yep. Okay. Um, I, rem- I remember that actually. That and it doesn't about. Finrod get to go back and uh, isn't there a lore that says Finrod gets to go back and live with his uh, his lover? And uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. he gets he actually gets reincarnated, but he doesn't have to come back to Middle Earth. That, that yeah, lucky he lives, son of a yeah. bitch. He actually gets to fucking finally relax and yeah. live in Valinor with his with his loved one. Good for Finrod. So, so would you say that this is also kind of like how Gandalf becomes? Goes from gray to white, like that's sort of a reincarnation. Yeah, that's totally. Reincarnation. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. dies. He, he literally back. died and came. Yeah, he was literally reincarnated. Yep. Mm-hmm. So not just the elves can be reincarnated. Oh no, yeah. Nope. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. you betcha, yeah, betcha. Yeah. You got it there, oh, bud. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so now on to men, the second born. Yeah, they're mortal. Um, so they eventually just die for no reason, you know, for no reason. <laughs> as, like, as, as we all do, as we all do, eventually just die for no reason. Yeah, they could have illness or <laughs> afflictions. Yeah. Well, this is considered the gift of men, mm-hmm. the ability to die and be free of the wariness of the forever living on world. Yeah, exactly. So when they die, they go to the house of Mandos for a little bit, but then they depart from the world altogether. Yeah, nobody knows where. So the men get to leave, but the elves have to stay in the halls? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, nobody, literally nobody knows where men go. None nobody, of the Valar, not even Mandos. Like Christ said, only the father knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only Ilavatar knows. He won't tell anybody either. It seems. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this is just one of those many things that will now and forever remain a Tolkien mystery. Ta-da! You said the thing. You said the thing. Uh, <laughs> hey. Remember that, guys? A few episodes ago. Yeah, refer back to Tolkien mystery. That was that's actually one of our favorite recent. We love that episode. Yeah, so, yeah, it's so good. We're big fans of it here at KOT. <laughs> so the. Uh, Difference between the children of Ilavatar is brilliantly highlighted by a conversation between Finrod Felagund and his human friend, Andareth. Yeah. And this conversation is called Athrabeth Finrod a Andreth. Which just means the debate of Finrod and Andreth. And this is found only in, exclusively in, the History Middle Earth series, Volume 10, Morgoth's Ring. This was my first time reading this. I was very... I've uh, yeah. skimmed over this section like maybe once or twice before for, for some research and some other uh, past episodes we were doing. And holy shit, you guys. This it's is so cool. one of the most... I don't know how to describe this. kind. Of, it's uh, I want to say dense, but I don't think that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it's 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 a whole different animal. But uh, yeah, we have two big juicy excerpts from it. But I w- I'd highly recommend to go checking that Is out. Is brow the right word? Like It's, it's very... <laughs> it's a lot of very... Lofty. Fancy speech. It's very lofty speech. Yeah. And like, if you've read the Silmarillion, you, you're used to some of that. But this is but like this is like to the nth level degree. 10, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, experts. But yeah, one of the things they discuss in this debate is death, of course. 
Uh, Andreth actually goes and goes ahead and says that many of the wise among men think that the fate of death is straight up caused by Melkor, and that Ilavatar did not intend for them to die. I didn't know that previous to this. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, so Finrod in response, he says that Melkor is actually not responsible for death, and that is actually a lie that in itself comes from Melkor. Yeah, and I found this to be super interesting when I was writing this episode, because this is the earliest mention of men resenting or straight up not understanding the gift of men. Death, yeah. And that was the seed that was planted that would uh, planted early that would grow to be the downfall of uh, Numenor and just men in general. Yeah, you might say that's one of Melkor's earliest and deepest corruptions yeah. in the race of men. They were, The race of men wasn't originally like that. Mm-hmm. We were discussing that a little bit earlier, but... yeah. It's definitely a, um, basically since the, the dawn of time, yeah. kind of uh, infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, he was kind of there. Right he, at the dawn yeah, of time. he was part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did Inception on them. All right, had to talk a little bit about this. We've got an excerpt from the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 10, Morgoth's Ring, Athrabeth, Finrod, uh, Andrith, read by Joel. Then Finrod was silent, but after a while he said, These words are strange and terrible. And you speak with the bitterness of one whose pride has been humiliated and seeks, therefore, to wound those to whom she speaks. If all the wise among men speak so, then well I can believe that ye have suffered some great hurt. But not by my people, Andreth, nor by any of the Quendi. If we are as we are, and ye are as we find you, that is not by any deed of ours, nor of our desire. And your sorrow does not rejoice us, nor feed our pride." one only would say otherwise that enemy whom you do not name beware of the chaff of your corn andreth for it may be deadly lies of the enemy that out of envy will breed hate not all the voices that come out of the darkness speak truth to those minds that listen for strange news but who did you this hurt who imposed death upon you melkord is plain you would say or whatever name you have for him in secret, for you speak of death and his shadow as if these were one and the same, and as if to escape from the shadow was to escape also from death. But these two are not the same, Andreth. So I deem, or death would not be found at all in the world which he did not design but another. Nay, death is but a name that we give to something he has tainted, and it sounds therefore evil, but untainted, its name would be good. Yeah, the Anthrobeth also goes on to show the resentment that lies between the Eldar and men. This too is very important, for it is a seed of Melkor's lies to come, or lies that have come to fruition, rather. Yeah, Melkor fears solidarity among the children of Ilavatar between elves and men, and so he constantly seeks to divide them. And uh, we know from our history that uh, the only time the good guys are successful is when they stand together, right? Always. Always. Solidarity forever. So we have a, another excerpt here from the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 10, Morgoth's Ring, the Athrobeth, Finrod, Ah, Andreth, read by Trevor. I see, said Andreth, that in this ye of the High Elves do not differ from your lesser kindred, whom we have met in the world, though they have never dwelt in the light. All ye elves deem that we die swiftly by our true kind, that we are brittle and brief, and ye are strong and lasting. We may be children of Eru, as you say in your lore, but we are children to you also. To be loved little, maybe, and yet creatures of less worth, 
upon whom you may look down from the height of your power and your knowledge with a smile, or with pity, or with shaking of heads. Alas, you speak near the truth, said Finrod, at least of many of my people, but not of all, and certainly not of me. But consider this well, Andrith, when we name you children of Eru, we do not speak lightly, for that name we do not utter ever in jest or without full intent. When we speak so, we speak out of knowledge, not out of mere elvish lore, and we proclaim that ye are our kin, in a kinship far closer, both Hroa and Fea, than that which binds together all other creatures of Arda and ourselves to them. Hell yeah, that's such a juicy fucking excerpt. I love, I love this shit. So this section is like really interesting, mm-hmm. but very long. <laughs> yeah. This conversation is very long. Yeah, so these two juicy excerpts we'll have to do for now. Yeah, but we highly recommend this section to anyone uh, who really likes Finrod or wants to hear some more of Middle-Earth philosophy. This is a very philosophy-heavy section. Yes, yes indeed. So let's talk about the first emergence of men when we're first hearing about them in the histories. So the first we hear of men is when they awake in the region of Hildorian during the second spring of Arda with the first rising of the sun. Don't, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think Hildorian means land of the followers. Oh. Because okay. Hild- Hildor meant the followers. We learned that earlier, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that means land of the followers or land of the Hildor. That stands to reason. It's almost like the person who wrote this was a linguist a or something. Fucking yeah. philologist or some shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a nerd. Uh, so we've got a excerpt here from the, Silmar- the Silmarillion of Men, read by Danny. At the first rising of the sun, the younger children of Ilavatar awoke in the land of Hildorian in the eastward regions of Middle-earth. But the first sun arose in the west, and the opening eyes of men were turned towards it, and their feet, as they wandered over the earth, for the most part strayed that way. The Atani they were named by the Eldar, the second people. So shortly after the awakening of men, almost all of them are immediately turned to the worship of Morgoth. He was right there. Yep. The vast, vast majority of men become evil straight off the bat. Just right away. So men weren't originally evil, but unfortunately, shortly after creation, Morgoth (laughs) got him. Yep. And there were at least some groups among them that resisted Morgoth, and they fled out of Hildorian, or the, the east in general, into the west. These were actually the forebears of the people whom the Eldar would call the Adain. And we got Home, a History of Middle-Earth series, volume 12, of dwarves and men, and uh, the subsection, the Atani and their languages. The Atani and their kin were the descendants of peoples who in the Dark Ages had resisted Morgoth or had renounced him and had wandered ever westward from their homes far away in the east, seeking the great sea of which distant rumor had reached them. They did not know that Morgoth had himself left Middle-earth, for they were ever at war with the vile things he had bred, and especially with the men who had made him their god, and believed that they could render him no more pleasing service than to destroy the renegades with every kind of cruelty. It was in the north of Middle-earth, it would seem, that the renegades survived in sufficient numbers to maintain their independence as brave and hardy peoples, but of their past they preserved only legends, and their oral histories reached no further back than a few generations of men. Yeah, so all these people that were the eventually become the Adine are refugees. They're fleeing from persecution, um, which is a theme throughout history, right? I always thought it was sad that they 
their oral history only ended up going back a couple generations. Yeah, that's really sad because uh, we, we don't know a lot of things about that era of men for that reason. It's an easy way to write out the history. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know what? I think we need a trev check here, guys. Yeah, trev check. Because I got some questions. We, uh, need to, we need to get like a little sound for that. Trev check. All right. So I'm curious. When you say almost all of them are immediately turned to the worship of Morgoth, what do you mean by that? Yeah, they're straight up coerced into the worship of Morgoth and they see him as a god. And they start to persecute everyone else that doesn't believe that. Yeah, it's definitely not to say that men are necessarily evil. No, I wouldn't say that men are inclined toward evil at all. They just are, they're, they're really into doing their own thing and they want to do their own thing for as long as possible and they don't want to die. And anybody that says differently has a leg up on them because they're susceptible to lying. But I don't think they're necessarily evil at heart because Ilavatar created them and he can create nothing evil. So they can be turn to evil would yeah. you say being so easily swayed is a direct result of the discord of melkor oh 100 yeah i would definitely oh, say yeah. i think yeah. you could certainly argue that yeah totally yeah so without melkor there would be no evil no yeah the, the discord he introduced in the song is literally manifested in evil throughout history yeah mm-hmm. yep. hell yeah all right let's get into a really uh complicated subject that i didn't know anything about but now i know everything about this oh, is yeah <laughs> this is called the sundering of men yeah, guys, and you. Th- this may sound a little familiar to some of you. Some of you may be thinking about uh, the Sundering of the Elves. Which is still a classic KOT episode. That oh, had, yeah. Uh, wasn't that like the, the first ever Minturd was in that episode? No, no. N- n- one of the first Minturds was in that episode. Yeah, that was that was very that was season one for us. Yeah, long time ago. Hawking back. But, but yeah, we explained how the Elves Sundered into different groups by their geographic traveling, right? Right. And this uh, very same thing happens to men while they're coming into the West. Hell yeah. Let's get into it. So some of the men following the rising sun into the West came into Beleriand. Yeah, the host of men sundered a few times on the journey, eventually, ultimately, creating the three houses of the Adain. And what we mean by being sundered is uh, like different languages, uh, different culture. Yeah, there's just... uh I don't necessarily want to say rifts because there wasn't like violence, but there's just separations yeah. between the They kind of just like split, a natural split separation. with their own natural way. Kind of yeah. natural a natural separation of peoples. Yeah. Um, so the host was separated into two different groups originally. All right. Keep track here, guys. This is where it starts getting in the weeds. <laughs> so we got one southern group and one northern group. Pretty simple. I will tell you right now that the southern group remains intact throughout and we can set them aside for now. But the northern group okay. <laughs> is sundered again into two groups what they call the lesser group and they arrived at the sea of rune and lived at the foothills in the southwest of the sea and then we have the greater group which settled in the woods in the northeast corner near the water yeah it's pretty cool the sea of rune is not something we get a ton of information about no not really uh but eventually the greater group up on the northeast side they built ships and they sailed all the way down to the other side and met up with the lesser group but surprisingly, by the time this happened, their languages had already started to separate. They yeah. started to sunder somewhat. Mm-hmm. So with this whole sundering thing, it kind of sounds like they went all over the place. Uh, where did they go? Well, some of the greater groups stayed behind in Rovanian, and they become ancestors of the Northmen, which we will talk about in the next episode. Uh, but the original southern group, they actually settled in the White Mountains for a time. Yeah, they met up with men already living there called... The Droog, whom we might know... Affectionately as, know. ...as the Druidane. Yeah, we love the Druidane here at KOT Podcast. 
underrated. Underrated group of people, but more, much more on them later. Yeah, so they resumed their journey into the West, but some stayed behind. And these became the ancestors of the men of Eriador, also known as the Dunlundings. Yeah, and the general, uh, men in the general, like, south of Eriador, too, but also the Dunlundings as well. And we'll get more into Dunlundings later as well. Uh, but the leper, the lesser group, they actually made contact with dark elves of the east and dwarves in the mountains. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and they uh, this influenced their language and culture. So I have a question about this southern group. Okay. Yeah. Um, are these peoples ones that were later corrupted, or or are ones that are? Um, so the Adain, the the houses we're talking about right now, the Adain are always faithful. Always faithful. Yeah, that's why they're called that. They, but if you're talking yeah. about the northern and southern groups, yeah, I think you could say some of the southern groups probably got corrupted later on. Oh yeah, like the the Dunlinings and so. Well, I don't know. I'm a Dunlining sympathizer, so it's hard to. I think they're kind of just fighting for their land, in in my opinion. But Fair. They're more more independent than uh, corrupted or anything. Yeah, I don't think they're like super evil. I mean, they do serve Saruban at one point, but it is kind of to serve their own ends of getting their land back. So you can't really. I, I in my opinion, you can't really blame the Dunlings. But yeah, they, they do become a various groups of people as they, they leave. So wherever they go, they leave pockets behind. So there are, you know, the southern groups still down in the White Mountains as well. Okay. But this also created a new dialect of the language of the northern group. Right. New dialects. They got introduced to elves and dwarves and language changed. So we got two languages and then one language has two dialects. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. All right, so now let's get talking about specifically the Dane. Yeah, let's talk about their migration a little bit. The three groups uh, that entered Beleriand at different times, they, this started in the 4th century of the First Age. Uh, they're named after their leaders at the time, for the most part, and they made contact, uh, at the time that they made contact with the Eldar. Yeah, so the, the names of these houses, named after their three leaders, Beor, Haleth, and what we know is the House of Hador, but it originally started as the House of Merrick. Yes. And we'll learn more about that later. Um, the first men that entered Beleriand uh, came in the year 310 of the First Age. Yeah, this was the House of Beor, and they were followed by Haleth, and then later Hador last. Let's talk a little bit about our boy Finrod and the discovery of men, because Finrod straight up discovers uh, men in Beleriand for the first yeah, time. Yeah, he was the first elf, I think. Oh, at least of the elves in Beleriand. Yeah. What yeah. a great find that would be, though. Just finding another sentient being yeah. in the world. It would be sick, right? Yeah. It'd be like discovering aliens. It, it literally yeah. would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, what it was like. It was kind of like first contact. Yeah, it so, was. So Finrod went out hunting with his cousins, Madros and Maglor. And not to be like ableist or anything, but I was just thinking of this today, like while I was going over this outline. How the fuck does Madros hunt? He's the the dude's only got one arm. Oh, that's right. He or had one a, hand. He got chained up to uh, to uh, yeah, and they had to the, chop it off. Ang band, the outside yeah. Ang band, and they had to chop it off to save his life. So like he can't, he probably can't shoot a bow. He might be able to use a sling. Do you guys remember that uh, there was like TV infomercials for this thing? It was like a ball on a on a stick, and it was a ring. You'd put it around your ankle and you would jump over it. Oh, the skip it? The skip it. Yeah, yeah I he had probably, one. He They're probably, dangerous. It's he, a good way to crack your oh tibia. I mean, he could also do like throwing knives or... I was I thinking... Suppose. I was or thinking he, you could, he'd uh, fight with the skip it. That's what, what about, I'm saying. Oh, maybe he got really... <laughs> what if he got really good with poison darts? You only need one hand and a mouth for that, right? Just I suppose. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, Madros, tell us how you hunt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after getting tired of hunting, uh, Finrod sets off on his own, and he takes the dwarf road down into Assyrian. And he comes upon a camp of men. 
This happens to be the house of Beor, who had just recently crossed the mountain into Beleriand. And uh, Finrod watches them from the trees, and he listens to them sing. Yeah, and after they've fallen asleep, uh, he comes among them, and he takes up a harp that Beor was previously playing, and he sings a song and uh, plays a song on the harp. And we got an excerpt here from The Silmarillion, The Coming of Men into the West by Trevor. Long Felagan watched them, and love for them stirred in his heart. But he remained hidden in the trees until they had fallen asleep. Then he went among the sleeping people, and sat beside their dying fire where none kept watch. And he took up a rude harp, which Beor had laid aside. And he played music upon it, such as the ears of men had not heard. They had as yet no teachers in the art, save only the dark elves of the wildlands. Now men awoke and listened to Felagund as he harped and sang and each thought that he was in some fair dream, until he saw that his fellows were awake also beside him. But they did not speak or stir while Felagun still played, because of the beauty of the music and the wonder of the song. Wisdom was in the words of the elven king, and the hearts grew wiser that hearkened to him. For the things of which he sang, of the making of Arda, and the bliss of Amman beyond the shadows of the sea, came as clear visions before their eyes. And his elvish speech was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. Thus it was then men called King Felagund, whom they first met of all the Eldar, Gnome, that is wisdom, in the language of that people. And after him they named his folk Gnomen, the wise. So yeah, Beor, he becomes straight up, he's like taken with Felagund right away. He becomes a vassal of King Felagund. And uh, the House of Bayar are loyal to the House of Fenarfin ever after. What a great way to meet instant yeah. friends. Instant friends right there. Through music, man. Music brings people together. Yeah, it does. And that brings us up to this week's Minturd. Yeah, you know what else Burr, brings people together? Minturd. Minnesota, Minnesota Tolkien Radio Drama. Heck yeah. yeah. Yes. You betcha. You betcha. Gosh darn it, you betcha. But uh, this Minturd is about basically what we just, uh, this is a Minnesota reimagining of what we just read yeah. from the Silmarillion. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, strap in, guys. Here we go. Woohoo! It was in the dawn of the fourth century of the First Age that Finrod Felagund went on a hunting trip with the sons of Feanor, his cousins. After a long expedition, Finrod grew wary. He had a very extended goodbye ritual with his cousins and set off on his own down the dwarf road. Oh, jeez. That sure was a great hunting trip. I sure do love going up north for the weekend. Finrod hummed to himself as he journeyed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love my cousins, but they can be, you know, a little bit much. You know what I mean? Going on and on about those gosh darn Silmarils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I better make my way on home here. Yeppers, here I go now, hey. Finrod made his way down into Assyriand. He took in the beauty of the land. <laughs> oh, jeez. Assyriand really is a dater tot and a whole different hot dish. God, that sure is pretty. Before long night fell, but Finrod continued his journey. He was making his way through the forest when he thought he heard voices on the night air. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that definitely is somebody talking hey 
I better take a look, you know what I mean? Fenrod used his elven stealth skill to sneak up toward the sound. It was definitely voices. Finrod listened. Hey! Oh! oh hey! Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. we, we finally made it! Oh, we made it! Oh, Valerian! Oh, They were a group of what did not appear to be elves, nor dwarves. Finrod was astonished. He listened to them. They spoke strangely, but Feligant understood their meaning. Hey! Oh, we finally made it, you guys! Oh, things is finally looking up! Hey! hey oh, oh, oh! Yeah! Oh, yeah! Bada bing! Hey, we finally made it to Balerian over here. Oh, no more of those mooks over there. Oh, bada bing. Finrod was confused by the term mook. He wondered out loud to himself. The heck is a mook, hey? Finrod continued to listen as the apparent leader continued to speak. Hey, listen up over here, you guys. Tonight, we's gonna party, eh? Oh, oh yeah, hey, yeah, bada bing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Vinrod watched as they began to sing and dance around their fire. The party went on for some time. Their leader played on a crudely fashioned harp as they danced. Oh, jeez. These gotta be those second-born. Oh, yeah, you betcha. These people are pretty darn cool, hey? Vinrod watched from the darkness. Love for these strange people grew in his heart. Finally, the part winded down, and they began to fall asleep one by one. Oh, for cute. They all fell off to sleep. Let me get a little closer, eh? Finrod moved from the darkness and approached the dying fire. He sat down and took up the harp and began to play. Beautiful music filled the night air. Slowly, all of the men began to stir in their sleep. They finally all woke up. They sat and listened to the music. It was unlike anything they had ever heard. Finrod began to sing as he played. The men sat silent and still as stone. They each at first thought they were in some kind of dream. When Fidrod sang, the words were strange to the men, but they understood their meaning. Mama, take this badge off of me. I can't use it anymore. It's getting dark too dark to see and i feel i'm knocking on heaven's door Rod sang for them they were dumbfounded by the combination of beautiful music and the poetry of the lyrics they were unlike anything they had ever heard knock knock knocking on heaven's door knock knock knocking on heaven's door knock knock knocking on heaven's door Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. As Finrod finished the second verse, something amazing happened. The men began to sing along. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. 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 By the time the song concluded, everyone had tears in their eyes. Before long, the leader stood up and spoke. Oh, hey, that was the most beautiful freaking thing I ever heard. Who the hell is this guy anyways? Oh, I are there. I'm Finrod, son of Finarfin. I'm Anoldo of the West. Oh, hey, it's good to meet you over here. I'm Bayo. How you doing? Me and my buddies here, we come from all of the East. 
We had to get away from that dark one, that stupid gavoon. Oh, yeah. You are the second born, I bet. Hey, you know what that means? We are kin. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, that's pretty freaking cool, eh? Oh, yeah. I'm going to take care of you guys now, hey? I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about Beleriand culture. And taught them, he did. He taught them about many things. He taught them to fish. And if you're trying to go for the walleye, the best thing you can do is get yourself some big old suckers, like right here. Hey, that's a leech. Yeah, no, yeah, this is a sucker, hey. You use these bad boys and you'll be catching yourself a walleye in no time. Maybe even a northern or two. Some crappies, maybe? You know what I mean? He taught them to play traditional games, like Duck Duck Grey Duck. But what they loved most was cribbage. Oh, hey, what are all these little pegs and cards for over here? This tiny little board with all these little holes seems kind of wackadoo. Oh, yeah, no. This is a game played by my people for many generations. It's called cribbage. It's real fun, hey? Benrod taught them the slightly complicated rules of the game cribbage. The men loved it. They played late into the night. 15-2, 15-4, and there ain't no more. Looks like I win. Oh, hey, we gotta get a rematch over here. He taught them about traditional cuisine. Oh, okay now. Today I'm going to be teaching you guys how to make a traditional tater tot hot dish. Hey, uh, tater tot what now over here? Finrod showed them how to make the strange dish. He started with all the ingredients. All right, you guys, here's what you'll be needing. Finrod brought out a paper bag with the words Cub Foods on the side. You got your three cans of Green Giant Green Beans, two cans of Campbell's Cream of Mushroom, an onion, some ground beef. You can use venison, too. God, that's good. And, of course, tater tots and cheese. Well, hey, what's a tater tot over here? Finrod showed them how to layer the ingredients into a pan. And after baking it at 350 degrees for 45 minutes, dinner was served. They had a great feast. Finrod and the men sat back with full bellies. Bayor and Finrod cracked a couple of cans in Nordeast and sat with their arms around each other. Oh, hey, that was the greatest meal I ever freaking had over here. What better than the best freaking gabagool I've ever had? Oh, yeah, you freaking betcha. Finrod even began to influence their speech. Now, instead of saying, hey, and oh, try saying, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was really good, hey. Now try this one. You betcha. You betcha. You betcha. You, yeah, you betcha. Now try them together, hey. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Oh, yeah, you betcha. From then on, the men adopted the speech of the region and spoke that way from then on. Finrod became great friends with the men, and they took him for their lord. They sang the song that Felgen taught them every night before they took to rest. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah.
All right, friends, that was your Minturd for the day. Thank you very much. Hey. That was a kind of interesting one. We had uh, East Coast accents in there. An attempted. An attempted East Coast <laughs> yeah, accent. Yeah, none of us are from the uh, East. <laughs> no, that's what you sound like to us, though, from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry. Hopefully nobody was offended by that. Uh, all in good fun. All in good fun. We make fun of ourselves here, so we were making fun of East Coast accents, too. You know, why not? It's all in good fun. Yeah, we love it. I've never been there, but I'm sure it's great. So let's continue through these houses, shall we? Yeah, let's get uh, let's do a rundown of all the houses. Let's start with the first to enter Beleriand, the House of Beor. So the House of Beor, let's start with some of their physical descriptions. They're known for their dark hair, brown eyes, and they're uh, pale to they're pale to swarthy, quote unquote, skin skin tones. Yes, and swarthy is defined as someone with dark skin. So to all the chagrin of all the super racist Tolkien fans out there, some of these dudes had darker skin. Yeah, I mean, it's even quoted earlier in one of the excerpts we did. Yep. Swarthy is the word that Tolkien used. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the House of Beor is smaller than the House of Hador, uh, the, which is the other faction of the Northern group. Let's get into the origins and lineage of the House of Beor. So the House of Beor descended from the lesser group of the Northern group of Atani that left Hildorian. And... Uh, they were led through a pass in the Blue Mountains by Balan, also known as Beor. They were really poor and ill-equipped. Uh, there were about 2,000 men, um, and they, those, that was the original group that made it through to Beleriand. Yeah, they had no beasts of burden or livestock of any kind with them, so it was literally like them with what they can carry on their backs. Yep, yep. So let's get into some famous members of the House of Beor. Let's start with Beor the Old. Beor himself. So Beor, uh, he's the namesake. He's led his people over the Blue Mountains into Beleriand and eventually became the vassal of King Finrod Felagand. Yeah, and he lived in in, in straight up Nargothrond uh, until the end of his life in uh, 355 of the First Age at age 93, hence the name, Beor the Old. Is that actually old for men of this time? Yes, this is very old for men of this time. Yes. Oh, okay, so... When did the Dunedain come about with their long lives? Um, in that the was a, second age. That, that, that was a gift the... from Ilavata, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, and that happens at the in the second age, which will be the end of this episode. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll get into that in our next episode. Next week, yeah. So let's talk about uh, another famous uh, how, member of the House of Beor, Barahir. Yeah, Barahir rules. He's a great captain of war. He famously ned, led a nearly suicidal charge to save King Felagan during the Dagor Bracolak. Yeah, Felogan then swore an oath of loyalty to Barahir and his kin and gave Barahir his own ring as sort of a, a symbol of that of that oath. Yeah, ring of Barahir. Um, uh, Barahir was uh, famously killed at night in his camp by orcs, and they severed the hand that bore the ring and took it with them. But it is famously later retrieved by his son, Baron. This- this seems to be a, a recurring theme in Tolkien where somebody loses part of their hand or finger. <laughs> yeah. And somebody claims the ring. the ring they were There's wearing. There's a lot of maiming going on. Yeah, nobody just Tolkien. takes it off. They're just like, you're going to lose a hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, we talk about Baron a little bit. Let's get into Baron or Camion, one of the most famous of the Adain friggin' ever. So Baron famously fell in love with Luthien Tenuviel of Doriath, and she and him recovered a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. Yeah, and uh, spoiler alert, Baron and Luthien both die as a result. 
And through a really complicated series of events that we're not going to get into here, they were allowed to return to life and live as mortals in Assyrian. So Baron, very important member of that house. Of course. There's also Dior, the only son of Baron and Luthien. He was the heir of Thingol as well as the heir of Beor. Yeah, he actually reclaimed Doriath after its original sacking. He went back a couple years later and uh, reclaimed it. And he inherited the Nalgamir with the Silmaril in it after the death of his parents. Yeah, but unfortunately, Dior was eventually slain in the second sacking of Doriath. Really, the final sacking. Can, can, yeah. I, can I ask, how do we define sacking? Uh, when you, you, you basically go in, steal everything you can, enslave everybody, and uh, steal anything worth of worth value. Yeah, someone but, but invades like a castle. Fully. But you don't like take the land, you just take the stuff? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean you took the city, you just like, it is no longer a threat anymore. Uh, yeah. Been sacked. Yeah. It's been sacked. I, it just sounds funny. Yeah, because cities get sacked all the time, right? But they, they go on being cities yeah. later. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So Dior, uh, during the sacking, he refused to yield the Silmarils with the sons of Fane or the ones doing the sacking. And uh, so eventually, so essentially the sons of Fane attacked Doriath and reclaimed it. Oh, Dior actually, uh, yeah, and he actually s- kills Caligorm uh, in this whole sortie which is cool. He kills that asshole Kelegorn before he dies. And then his sons, Elred and Elrin, are kidnapped by the sons of Feanor and left to die in the forest by Kelegorm's followers. And unfortunately, these boys were never found. And yet another Tolkien, Tolkien mystery. Doo-doo. What happened to those boys? They did actually go back to search for them, didn't they? And they never found uh, them? Majros did. Yeah, Majros felt really bad. And a lot of people think that's why they didn't... Uh, Kill Elrond and Elros when they found them. Oh, later because on, they, they felt learned bad. their lesson. Yeah. So let's talk about another famous member of the House of Beor, Elwing, yeah. daughter of Dior. Yeah, of course. Elwing, very important. She escaped the second kinslaying with the Silmaril, uh, and she brought it to the mouths of Syrian. And there is where she met and fell in love with Eorendil, and they were married. Yeah. She eventually threw herself into the sea during the third and final kinslaying. God. Um, it's funny. She survived two kinslings. That's wild. That's terrible. That's wild as shit. It's kind of like if you had, like were born at the specific time where you got to live through World War One and two. You kind of like that guy who uh, got to witness the dropping of both atomic bombs. Yeah, that dude. Yeah, I feel like I'd want to throw myself into the sea after that too. Yeah, like, that, that's a that's a lot of bad faith and yeah <laughs> yeah for real um yeah this the, with the sons of Feanor they attack the refugee camp at the mouth of Syrian looking for the Silmaril, but. She throws herself into the sea and is bore up into history. Yeah, very famous member of the house. Now let's talk about another famous lady of the house of Beor, the lady Morwen Eldwin. Yes, she's the daughter of Baragun, the lord of Ladros, and she married Hurin, the lord of Dorloman. And she's famously the mother of Turin Turimbar and Neonor, and her family was cursed by Morgoth, which culminates in the tragedy that we know as the children of Hurin. Yeah, fun fact, she was considered to be the most beautiful mortal woman of the first age. I'm guessing she still wouldn't win any contests against elves, though. I don't think any human would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no human yeah. has that ability. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the language of the House of Beor. We talked about it a little bit, but let's get into the real nitty-gritty. Yeah, so the language of the northern group was known as Taliska. Taliska, yeah. Talis- Taliska. Yeah, and uh, Taliska was sundered into two different dialects during uh, the time that they were both the greater and the lesser group where they were dwelling by the Sea of Rhun. So the lesser group, the group of Beor, became friendly with the Avari elves of that region. 
Yeah, this influenced the shit out of their language. Uh, the lesser group adopted many elvish words and devices. Yeah, and when the greater group sailed across the Sea of Rune and met with the lesser, they could only understand each other with great difficulty. Yeah, I figure this is similar to like how an American might have trouble uh, like like understanding someone who speaks English, but from like Africa or, you know, South America, you know, something like that, you know. And we got a excerpt here from History of Middle Earth, Volume 12, Peoples of Middle Earth, The Atani and Their Languages by Joel. The Elvish lore masters were of opinion that both languages were descended from one that had diverged owing to some division of the people that had spoken it, in the First Age. Though that time might well have been less, and change quickened by a mingling of peoples, for the language of Hador was apparently less changed and more uniform in style, whereas the language of Bayor contained many elements that were alien in character. Yeah, yeah. While, te- uh, while Taliska was the native language of the House of Bayor, they eventually mostly used Sindarin after settling in Beleriand. So let's uh, move on from language to some of the known dwellings of the House of Bayor. So they were largely on the southwest shores of the Sea of Ruin. Yeah, and then they went. They made their way into Estolad, and of course Dorthonian. Yeah, the seat of power there was uh, was named the Lord of Ladros. Yeah, in the city of Ladros in Dorthon- Dorthonian. Yeah, uh, we also had some uh, uh, Bayorians living in Dorloman under uh, Hurin and, and, and Morwen, of and course, and some in Brethil too. Yeah, and also some in Brethil. Can I just say that? All of these places, just by their names, sound super cool. I know. It's just, don't you want to go to every one of these places? Yes. Like, in order, backpacking across Middle-earth. Yeah, that would be so fun. I think. It's time for another Trev check, guys. I agree. Let's oh, do yeah? it. So what do you we, got? We, we specifically, let's, let's stick to the House of Bayor here, but I'm curious. We talked about a ring earlier. Are there any heirlooms or noteworthy items that survive the House of Bayor into the later ages? Yes. The One of them is the ring you mentioned that we talked about earlier, the Ring of Bear here. Oh. Yeah, and that was given to Feligund, uh, or excuse me, to Bear here by Feligund in the First Age. It became an heirloom of the Kings of Numenor later, and later on later, the Lords of Indunia. Yeah, it's even worn by Aragorn famously in the Third Age as a symbol of his claim as the to be the uh, heir of Isildur. Yeah, because he is a descendant of uh, the House of Bear and Bear here. Do you guys know the origin of this ring? Um, it's the it was made in Valinor. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's the sigil of Finarfin's house. Oh. So it was probably given to Feligund when he became of age or something like that. I'm assuming. Okay. Well, okay. all right. Well, rings are cool and all, but what about weapons? They had to have some cool fighting weapons. Oh too. yeah, they are uh, a warlike people when they have to be, and Naturally, of course, as they, all men are. Yes, all men tend to. <laughs> um, the bow of Bregor. Um, he is the second lord of Ladros. His name Bregor. Yeah, and. Uh, it must have been a pretty sick, powerful bow because it ended up getting passed down as an heirloom by the Adain, and it even got brought to Numenor eventually and remained an heirloom of the King of Numenor until the fall of Numenor near the end of the Second Age. We have an excerpt here from the uh, History of Middle-Earth series, Volume 12, People of Middle-Earth, the Itani, and their languages, read by Trevor. There were fair-haired men and women among the folk of Beor, but most of them had brown hair going usually with brown eyes, and many were less fair in skin, some indeed being swarthy. Men as tall as the folk of Hador were rare among them, and most were broader and more heavy in build. In association with the Eldar, especially with the followers of King Finrod, they became as enhanced in arts and manners as the folk of Hador. 
But if these surpass them in swiftness of mind and body, in daring and noble generosity, the folk of Beor were more steadfast in endurance, of hardship and sorrow, slow to tears or to laughter. Their fortitude needed no hope to sustain it. Arty folk. Yeah. And like like we said earlier, from the horse's mouth, there you go again, uh, some of them had darker skin. Yep. Yeah. And they're good people that existed in Tolkien and had dark skin. Look at that. What do you know? What do you know? I do just really love this last like this this last part where it says their fortitude needed no hope to I sustain love that. it i love that it's yeah that's it, it, it's like such a, a powerful phrase just mm-hmm. about how a race that's of people like that'll just keep on going and that's uh evident uh in morwen's character mm-hmm. most i mm-hmm. think her, is her resilience to all the horrible shit that's happening to her and oh, she yeah. keeps her her hand very close to her so let's get into the next house, the second house to enter Beleriand, the house of Halith, also known as the Haladin. So these folks were uh, also had dark features, and they were small in stature compared to the other two houses. And they were descendants of the original southern group of Atani that had left Hildorian. Yeah, remember that original southern group that we said stays intact the whole time? Bada bing, as they'd say, this is the house of Halith. Yeah, when they entered Osiriand, there was some strife among them, but uh, otherwise they were they were pretty true to themselves. Yeah, they uh, also had no uh, no leader, which we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, let's talk about their language first, though. So they speak a language called Haladin, and it is completely alien to the other two houses of the Adain. The Haladin, they kept their language in use, and they eventually adopted Sindarin to communicate with their allies, but most did not speak it well, and some not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were very, uh, they used Sindarin when they had to. That was pretty much it. I find it super interesting that it's been, like between the north and south, right? That's that language divide. But it, but it's not even like dialects, because the north had its It's, it's a, it's a it's completely split different up. language. It's a totally yeah. different language. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not a dialect. Yeah, it's a completely different language. Let's get into some famous members of the House of Halith, because there's a few cool ones. So let's get right into our first one. Haldod. This is the leader of the house when they dwelt in southern in uh, southern Thargalion. Yeah, the Haladin originally had no single leader, but uh, war with the orcs of the Blue Mountains solidified uh, Haldad's leadership during this time. Yeah, yeah, out of necessity, they took a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but he was actually killed in a sortie after the Haladin. They ran out of food during a siege, and he was killed uh, trying to probably get food. <laughs> I don't know. So next famous leader we have is Halith, who is the namesake of the House of Halith. And she's actually the daughter of Haldad, the character we just spoke of. And after Haldad had died in that sortie we mentioned, this is when Halith takes up leadership and uh, her, her brother also eventually gets killed as well. Yep. Her whole family one. just gets slaughtered by orcs. Yeah, she was known as a vicious warrior. Um, she helped uh, keep her people alive for seven days during a siege. They were eventually uh, rescued. The siege was broken by Carinthir because Thargelion was his region. Yeah, but ultimately, Halith was beloved by her people, and she was buried in the Howden Arwen, which is called the uh, Lady Barrow. Mm-hmm. Let's get into um, uh, let's uh, an honorable mention for another House of Halith uh, person here, Brandir, also known as Brandir the Lame. The lame? Why the lame? Uh, he actually had a... He had uh, like a birth defect. He had like a club foot, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. He, 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 had a, he had a disability. Disability, yeah. But yeah, he he helped uh, Turin during uh, his whole thing. He nursed Turin back to health. He was a really good healer. 
and a, and a really just guy. And he uh, he was killed over a misunderstanding, if you remember. Pretty sad. Though some of the known dwellings of the uh, House of Halith or the Haladin, uh, Beleriand, they were known to live in Osirian, Thargelian, and Brethel. Yeah, and in Middle-earth, the White Mountains, Eriador, and Dunland. All right, boys. Time for another trip check. Sounds good. Late on us. Okay, so you guys had mentioned earlier the house is named after their leader, Halith. Mm-hmm. And, and you had said that um, Brandir helped lead and, and whatnot. Were there any other, other significant leaders or kings? Well, kings specifically, no. Uh, they never bowed to a king. They refused to bow to Carinthir. Yeah, even when he saved them. Yeah, he fucking saved their ass and was like, you can live in Thargelion. All you have to do is bend the knee to me. And they're like, fuck yourself. And they just left. <laughs> Yeah, Come wasn't that when Halith was like, where are Haldad and and uh, my brother, Hal something or else? He, w- yeah, Car- Karen Thier was confused why they would turn down the offer. Yeah. He was like, do you... Or, or do you love the orcs or something or like that or? oh no that uh, that's uh when they're talking to thingol later on in the story and he says oh. do you, and she's like do you think i'd be because they're like are you friend of the orcs yes and they're like do you think i'd be friends with people that killed my mom and my, my father and mother you must be crazy yeah yeah so, that's a cool that's a cool story, no, she, story she's badass and she has some really cool shit that she does yeah hell is great so if they had no kings um, did they have like a, a kingdom or where did they go? What well, they-, they lived in Brethil mostly, uh, as free men. It's a forest in, in, uh, in Beleriand, um, under the condition that they keep safe the crossings of the Taglin for travel and whatnot. Yeah. And I mean, this, uh, this arrangement to be able to live in Brethel was kind of arranged by, uh, King Finrod, but st- still, nonetheless, they were free people. They didn't worship King Finrod. They didn't worship King thingol they didn't yeah they they're didn't take in anyone they're technically in thingol's land but he allows them to live there to protect the river crossing yeah hold on are you saying that he's almost like their landlord in a way <laughs> in a way <laughs> i guess you could put it like yeah that. you could kind of put it they, that they way. pay their rent uh yeah, they in, don't like, in, in safety yeah right? they don't necessarily bow to him but yeah. they you know their answer it's, to it's him. an agreement yeah right? yeah transactional yeah, but they were they were uh, hardy folks, and the green elves of Osirian were actually afraid of them and kept their distance uh, when they dwelt in that area. And they were cool with the Druidane. That's another really cool thing about the House of Halith. Yeah, they were cool with the Druidane, and they followed the Druidane. Uh, the, or excuse me, the Druidane followed them into Beleriand. Uh, we actually have an excerpt here from the History of Middle Earth, Volume Twelve: Peoples of Middle Earth of Dwarves and Men, read by Danny. They did not willingly adopt new things or customs, and retained many practices that seemed strange to the Eldar and other Atani, whom they had few dealings with except in war. Nonetheless, they were esteemed as loyal allies and redoubtable soldiers, though the companies that they sent to battle beyond their borders were small, for they were and remained to their end a small people, chiefly concerned to protect their own woodlands, and they excelled in forest warfare." Indeed, for long, even those orcs specially trained for this dared not set foot near their borders. One of the strange practices spoken of that many of their women were warriors, though a few of them went abroad to fight in great battles. This custom was evidently ancient, for their chieftainess, Halith, had been a renowned Amazon with a picked bodyguard of women. Hell yeah. Yeah, she had a whole... 
bunch of amazonians yeah a bunch of badass women around there yeah i thought that was a cool uh excerpt about the house of halleth and it mentions the bodyguard of women which i thought was really cool that's pretty cool that's pretty unique you don't <laughs> it, see you don't see much of that yeah in tolkien other places that's exactly no. what i was thinking it's it's super unique there's like even most all of the fellowship is dudes yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's it yeah it's a sausage fest it's a sausage I mean, fest yeah. man let's get into the last house probably the most important of them really yeah that would be the house of hador yes let's get into some physical descriptions of the house of hador yeah so people of the house of hador are generally the tallest of the adain of the three houses they're also usually uh, light-skinned blue-eyed and mostly golden-haired yeah the House of Hador originally descends from the greater group of the northern group of the Adain, and for a time they were led by Merrick, and that led them to be known as the House of Merrick before entering Beleriand. So they crossed into Beleriand in three separate hosts, and each host consisted of around 200 adults. 2,000. Excuse me, 2,000, thank you. And they were most numerous, they were the most numerous of the three houses of the Adain. Yeah, and they were the best equipped, and they were friggin' armed as well. And they had beasts of burden, livestock, and horses, and chickens, and cows, and all kinds of things. Yeah, remember how we talked about uh, some of the other houses just came over with what they could carry on their backs. Yeah, not these guys. They were prepared for this journey. Yeah, this is like a civilization moving <laughs> yeah. around. Yeah. So the Green Elves uh, at, the fo- at the forest at the foot of the Blue Mountains there, they were, again, also afraid of these men too as they came over the mountain. Yeah, like, who the fuck? And they essentially, when they came in contact with them, they just kind of sent the men over to Estelad as they did with the House of Baor. Yeah, it's like them, them weirdos are living up in Estelad. Go live with them. Yeah, just the- go over by those other weird men. Are the second born really that scary? I, I guess, guess. The, I guess. The, the elves of Osirian are relatively timid. I think. Yeah, they're well. kind of closed off. Yeah, that's why Baron and Luthien go there to live the rest of their life out because like men don't really go through Osirians all that much. Relative peace. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into the loyalties of the House of Hador. Yeah. So Hador's folk were generally loyal to Fingolfin and his sons Fingon and Turgon. Yeah. The House of uh, Finarfin they love. Yeah. So they essentially followed whoever the current High King was, right? Yep. Yep. That was their king, whoever the High King was. Uh, famous members. Let's start with Merrick, the uh, namesake of the original house. Yeah. So Merrick was the leader of the house when they migrated into Beleriand, and uh, he's essentially the great grandfather of Hador. And Merrick brought his people to dwell in the land of Estelad with the House of Beor. Yeah, let's talk about his uh, his great grandson Hador. He was known as Lorindal, the golden-haired. Yeah, and he was the first lord of the region of Dorloman in the north. And the folk of Merrick dealt little with Fingolfin's people since Malik, uh, son of Merrick, who was beloved by Fingolfin. Yeah, so like his uh they hadn't for a couple generations hadn't dealt with Fingolfin's people much. And then they uh, uh Hador shows up again and he's he enters the halls of Fingolfin and greeted as a friend. And Fingolfin grants Hador the fiefdom of Dorloman and Merrick's people became known as the House of Hador. Yeah. Let's talk about another one, more tragic character. Oh no, this is n- never mind. A tragic he's a tra- no, this one's tragic too. <laughs> <laughs> not not as much as his brother, but uh, Huor. Huor, the son of Galdor. He spent some of his youth in the kingdom of Gondolin with his brother Huorin. Yeah, and Huor was best known for fathering Tuor, 
and uh, also for making a prophecy to Turgon at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Yeah, very important. He's actually prophesizing the fucking future here. And we got that teeny little excerpt from Joel. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death. Though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again, from you and from me a new star shall arise. Farewell. And Huor was actually shot through the eye with an arrow shortly after saying that at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Pretty brutal death. Yeah. Through the eye. Yeah. I wonder if he saw it coming. Not quite as tragic as what happened to his brother and his brother's family. Yeah, let's get into his brother Hurin. He's the eldest son of Galdor and the final Lord of Dorlona. Yeah, if that's any indicator of where things are going here. Yeah. Uh, so Hurin is regarded as the greatest warrior of the Adain in the Elder Days. He was also one of the shortest to him, right? He was, he was a relatively short Yeah, he's person. shorter in stature than uh, most of the men of Hador, yeah. Um, he's uh, best known for being captured by Morgoth and tormented for years. Yeah, Morgoth laid a curse on Hurin and his kin and made Hurin watch as the curse played out throughout his children's lives yeah and that's the story of the children of Hurin. we've covered uh we've covered it in the Turin episode and we will cover it in the future i'm sure i'm sure but it's uh it's a great book check it out the tragedy Hurin essentially ends the story by uh, committing suicide uh, jumping into the great sea in the year 502 of the first age yeah let's talk about even more tragedy Turin turinbar Hurin's son he's born in 464 of the first age and he is known as by far the most tragic character in Tolkien. And he is my favorite character, and we've discussed him at length in a few different episodes. Oh, yeah. Go back and check out the Tour and Tour and Bar episodes. And we definitely don't have any big plans to talk about him in the future. At None all. at all. None yeah. At all. Yeah. Just forget about it. So, yeah. Never again. Uh, Turin, uh, to put his life in a nutshell, he led a cursed life and included, let's go, speed round, guys. Okay. this is We're going to really condense this. <laughs> yep. So his father never returned home from war. The death of his younger sister. He f- yeah, he fled his homeland to avoid uh, slavery and thraldom. He alienated his adopted father, Thingol, after accidentally killing one of his advisors. Yeah, he also accidentally kills his best friend, Bela Guthalion. And the worst of all, he eventually unwittingly ends up marrying his sister and impregnating her yeah and this uh revelation results in the death of uh both of them in suicide in the year 499 of the first age yeah the revelation of the happiest relationship that they've ever had who they thought was their loves of their lives were actually uh their sister sibling. and brother yeah yeah that would be one of the most life-shattering yeah things to ever happen to Honestly. anyone like horrible horrible is there is there a specific reason why Morgoth curses Turin? Yes. Yes, he won't tell him where Gondolin is. And he right, and that's him. that's the city that nobody can find. But right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He because Turin or Hurin spent his uh, a few years there when he was younger and had to and got to leave and not he, not many people get that. Nobody really. Nobody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rare opportunity. Yeah. But uh, so let's, let's, another uh, Turin's Tur- cousin. Yeah, Turin's cousin fares a little better. Um, he's the son of Huor, the guy that got shot through the eye. His name is Tuor. His name is Tuor, yes. And after the death of his parents, he was enslaved by Easterlings. But he eventually found his way to Gondolin and lived there. So while on Gondolin, Tuor marries Idril, daughter of Turgon. And he also led a small group of refugees from Gondolin after its fall to the mouth of Syrian. And from there, he eventually sets sail, trying to sail to Valinor, where he is never heard from again. 
Yeah, there's no record if he made it outside some speculation that he might have made it to Tol Arisea and dwelt there with the Eldar until the end of his days. But ultimately, it remains a Tolkien mystery. A Tolkien mystery. I'm noticing a lot of uh, H and T names in these earlier days. Mm. Yes. There's like a, there's some good themes here. Yeah, it's the tradition of the Adain to use uh, alliterative names. I just read that in one of the things about their language the okay. other day. Yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense with names like Turin Turambar. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's talk about another member of the house, possibly one of the most famous members of this house, one of the most famous figures in first age history of all time. All time, maybe the goat, maybe the greatest of all Could time. Could be the goat. Uh, it's Aerendil. <laughs> the Mariner. Uh, yeah, and he's the product of the second wedding of elves and men. Yeah, he's known as one of the greatest heroes in all of Tolkien, and he actually did successfully sail to Valinor with the help of his Silmaril and his wife, Elwing, where uh, he begged for the Valar to intervene on the part of the two kindreds, basically, in, in the war that had been going on with Morgoth. Yeah, because he is both. He's elf and man, so yeah. he could speak for both of the kindreds. He could ask for both. Yeah. And the result of this was a 42-year-long conflict that destroyed Beleriand and ended the First Age. I have a question. Yeah. How did the Silmaril help him get to Valinor? There's a bunch of enchantments and stuff that surround, uh, like, the like you have to, like, there's, like, mountains, the Pylori, they call them, that you have to, like, sail around. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's really treacherous waters, and it's hard to do. Yeah, the waters there are actually cursed, so you're supposed to get lost and not be able to find your way to shore. Yeah. But he essentially used the Silmaril as, imagine Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, to cut through the bullshit. Quite literally. He, he just cut through the bullshit Literally what it. he did, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So that, uh, would, would you say that probably made him impervious to the uh, negative effects of the sea like he probably was oh yeah and, well, right and then also he is like the greatest the greatest most mariner. Talented mariner yeah yeah and he's in a ship made by Kirdan as well so, uh, so yeah he's got every boon like, he needs yeah to he's get like there. the greatest yeah. mariner in uh, a fantastic ship made by the best shipwright ever yeah and he's got a Silmaril to help guide him yeah and, and yeah. elwig Kirdan shafted by the way Kirdan shafted although that was like a consensus shafted shafted yes yeah so, uh, other famous members of the House of Hador, Elrond and Elros, they get their own section together. Yeah, so these are the two sons of uh, Eärendil and Elwing, and they were originally kidnapped by the sons of Feanor after the third and final kinslaying, but Maglor loved them enough as a father and uh, decided to raise them and teach them. Yeah, he taught them a bunch of stuff, and then seemingly uh, let them go, because they end up in Lindon later on, but uh, it never really says when they get let go. <laughs> But uh, they were both given the choice to be either the race of men or the Eldar because they were descended from both. Yeah, they were half elf, half man. So they were the first to be given the choice between essentially living as a man or living as an elf. Yeah. And as we know, Elrond famously chose to live as an elf and he became one of the greatest elven lore masters of all time and goes to live on for thousands and thousands of years. And then Elros, Elros chose to be the race of men. He became the first king of Numenor, but he died after, what was it, a couple hundred years? No, he lived hella long time. He lived like nearly 500 years, I think. His, oh, jeez. Yeah, his reign was like absurdly long. I'm curious, uh, before they made the choice, mm-hmm. like did this change their physiology at all? Would, really. would would that have meant that like um, Elros, like his ears rounded out or something? I, I guess actually technically his men's ears did round out. Oh, wait a second. Are elves actually stated to have pointed ears yes in tolkien 
Um, that's actually not true. They, no? It's never really specifically said. I was watching a video about this uh, because people were complaining about pointy ears in the Rings of Power series, and somebody did a deep dive on it. Oh. And it's kind of a traditional elf elf characteristic. But in it, our real world, but it's not specifically... Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. And like, ho- like that wide open Hobbits part. also never specifically says they have pointy ears as well. Hmm. God damn, my mind just got blown. Yeah, it's kind of like the when it got blown open for me when the I I heard that the Dunedain didn't have beards. Oh yeah, oh. yeah, they can't grow beards because they have the, of the elf blood in them. Ah, okay. Yeah. So no elves would have a beard either. Except for Kyrdan, the motherfucking shipwright. Except for Kyrdan, shafted. Of course, shafted, shafted. So let's talk a little bit more about that language, Taliska. Yeah. So the House of Hador spoke a dialect of Taliska. And it was different from the dialect of the House of Beor, which had the Elvish influence, whereas the House of Hador did not. Yeah, it remained uh, relatively unchanged from its earlier, more mannish version. Uh, and this is what we would call, uh, what we've coined for this podcast, Hadorian Taliska. Um, and that was spoken all the way to the end of the first age uh, with the House of Hador. Yeah, and they brought the language with them to Numenor, where it eventually evolved into the language of Adunaic. Yeah. So you could essentially say that uh, Hadorian Taliska is considered to be the... Ancient Adunaic. Ancient yeah. Adunaic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, some known dwellings of the House of Hador. Estolad, we talked mm-hmm. about that. Um, and Hithlum and Dorloman specifically, which is where their the seat of their power was. All right, guys. I'm going to pull a trev check here. Do it. For these guys here in the House of Hador. So with Tuor leaving for Valinor, never being heard from again... Um, did he leave any heirlooms or anything behind for the House of Hador? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. It's actually a really cool artifact here uh, called the Axe of Tuor. Oh, named after himself. Yeah. Uh, Tuor actually preferred a battle axe to any sword, and he lived in fucking Gondolin. So they had the best swords friggin' ever. And he still, and he the still preferred the axe. And that leads me to believe, like, what is an axe made by the Gondolindrum like? Right, yeah. Holy shit, yeah. Gonna yeah, be that's like got to be the most really durable cool axe. axe. Really cool axe. I yeah. wonder if it glows. I wonder. That'd be cool shit. I wonder. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, that name uh, it, it's uh, he, that he famously wielded was called Dramborleg um, in the fall of Gondolin. Yeah, and Dramborleg means thunder sharp in Gnomish, yeah, which is an early version of Quenya. Yep. It survived with him. It was taken to Numenor as an heirloom of the king. Yeah, so apparently the uh, in the Amazon show... The, the, the much-loathed. The much-loathed Amazon show. Uh, apparently, you can actually see Dramberleg in Tar Palantir's tower. Apparently, they decided to go through the effort of putting in little super, super specific <laughs> yeah. Easter eggs like that, but they didn't get good writing. Yeah. So, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Like, they get really cool little Easter eggs, but they just skimped out on the actual fucking plot. Yeah. I wonder if the Bow of Bregor was in there. That'd be cool. Can we talk about that? I, uh, can I just say that I love that there's a bow that's important and not just like a sword because you mostly hear about swords. Yeah. No, the Bow of Bregor, yeah. Must that's have been, really cool. Must have been pretty fucking sick. Um, okay. I'd like to shift gears and go back to Turin since he was like- Sure. <laughs> very important member of the <laughs> super house. Super cursed. Yeah. Had a terrible life. Uh, did he have any kind of luck at all? Was there any positive force in his life? Well, he did have one stroke of luck in that he was- fucking dripped out he had oh yeah really good gear he had the best gear um he yeah he was uh, the owner of what was called the dragon helm of dorloman which was fucking awesome 
Sometimes called the Helm of Hador. Sometimes. Um, and this was a dwarven helmet that uh, was, it shielded the, wear, the wearer from wounds and dragonfire by means of magical dwarf runes on the helm. So you could never be wounded wearing this helmet. That sounds like a great helmet. Like, how can you not be wounded from just a helmet? But Telkar had some magic shit. I don't know. It's wild shit. So this helmet has a long and rich history. It was made by the dwarfsmith Telkar of Nargrad sometime after the Dagor Aglareb in First Stage 260. Yeah, we're talking early First Stage Early here. First Stage. And it was originally made for Azagal, the king, the dwarven king of Nargrad. Yeah, that dude uh, gets God at uh, the Nirnath, right? Um, he gifted it to his buddy Madros. You know, Madros was really... Uh, uh, tight with the dwarves. Tight with the dwarves, son of Fanor. Um, and then Madros gave it to his cousin and best friend, Fingon. And eventually Fingon gave it as a present to Hador when Hador was made Lord of Dor Loman in 416 of the First Age. How did this helmet fit so many people? I don't know, man. Because they're all huge. The, <laughs> the reason why they that uh, the elves keep giving it to people is because no elf can... It says that no elf could wear this in battle. It's that heavy. It's that bulky. It's just Dang. too big. That only really di- big dudes can wear it. And that's why Hurin doesn't wear it, because he's a smaller dude. Mm. And then he's also too proud to wear a helmet. How does being too proud to wear a helmet work? Because <laughs> he likes to get up close and dirty, man. He wants you to see his angry ass face. Yeah, he wants to Because he fucking, yeah, guts you with an axe. Yeah. So, all right. It sounds sounds like this helmet being handed down to so many people. Is Turim, Turimbar the last one to have it? Um, it is actually buried with Turin Turimbar in the year 499 of the first stage. So he gets buried with the one piece of luck he had. Yeah. Yeah. He gets to hold on to that. Consolation prize. Yeah. We got a quote from the Silmarillion chapter 17 of the coming of men into the West and Joel's going to read it. Now Hador Lorendal, son of Hathal, son of Magor, son of Malik, Aradan, entered the household of Fingolfin in his youth. And he was loved by the king. Fingolfin therefore gave to him the lordship of Dor Loman, and into that land he gathered most of the people of his kin, and became the mightiest of the chieftains of the Edain. In his house only the elven tongue was spoken, but their own speech was not forgotten, and from it came the common tongue of Numenor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's about it for the house of Hador. And that's about it for, that we have for the three houses of the Adain. The, yeah. The High Men. Yeah. All right, no, the High Men would be Numenor. These are still uh, still Lomen, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Lomen. <laughs> Lomen. Uh, but let's talk about some other dudes from the first age here. Other men that are not the Adain. Yeah. Let's talk about Easterlings. There's there's a decent amount of Easterlings in the first age. In the movies, we only really see Easterlings as the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. For right. In the third age. So they right. come. They, I'm assuming they come a long way. They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They come from various various parts of the east. Easterling is kind of a catch-all term for anybody that comes out of the east. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Yeah, anyone that crossed the Blue Mountains into Beleriand after the Adain did. Yep, is known as an Easterling. And Easterlings were uh, often called the swarthy men or the incomers by the House of Hador. Seems a little derogatory, but you know, you know, you know. You know. Uh, they entered Beleriand in the year 463 of the First Age. And some were just everyday innocent dudes uh, and families, just not necessarily evil, just looking for better lands to settle. Because the East is pretty it's pretty shitty out there. So Easterlings are always trying to come over to more fertile lands. But uh, many of them were, se- were secretly in the service of Morgoth. So not all, but many. Yeah, and so these uh, Easterlings of the First Age, they're famously split into two houses, the House of Boar, 
and the house of Ulfang. And the Easterlings made their home in the lands just south of the March of Madros under the permission of the Sons of Feanor. Yes, and the Easterlings are famous in the First Age for uh, uh, an act of treachery. So let's talk about a little bit about the, the, the fifth battle, right? In First Age 472, Madros gathered a group of allies together for what they thought would be one final assault on Angband for good. They thought this was the end-all be-all. Yes. And it, I guess it sort of was, but not in the way that they thought. Yeah. Um, so they called this, uh, this union of, of allies, they called it the Union of Madros. And this included men of the two Easterling houses, just uh, so happened. Yeah, and dwarves as well. Let's not forget. Let's not forget dwarves. And uh, during the battle that became uh, known to be called the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, the House of Ulfang turns on Madros. Yeah, they turn on the allied forces. So the House of Ulfang starts attacking their former allies, including the House of Boar, who did remain faithful to the Union of Madros. The good Easterlings, right? And this causes the battle to go completely south. Uh, they were like about to win this one too. But then that just made it chaos. Yeah. And this makes it just go totally fucking south. They lose the battle and it ushers in a new era of darkness in Beleriand. So the House of Ulfang in this case would be the ones who are the secret evil. More secret evil ones. Yeah. yeah. Ulf- yeah. Ulfang's yep. son was uh, the one that organized the treachery. Mm. Evil. So we have an excerpt here about this from the Silmarillion, Chapter 20, of the Fifth Battle, Nearnath Arnordiad, read by Trevor. Yet neither by wolf, nor by Balrog, nor by dragon, would Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. In this hour, the plots of Ulfang were revealed. Many of the Easterlings turned and fled, their hearts filled with lies and fear. But the sons of Ulfang went over suddenly to Morgoth, and drove in upon the rear of the sons of Feanor. And in the confusion that they wrought, they came near to the standard of Madros. They reaped not the reward that Morgoth promised them, for Maglor slew Uldor the Accursed, the leader in treason, and the sons of Bor slew Ulfast and Ulwarth, ere they themselves were slain. But new strength of evil men came up that Uldor had summoned and kept hidden in the eastern hills. And the host of Madros was assailed now on three sides, and it broke, and was scattered, and fled this way and that. Yeah, it really goes tits up for them right there. Yeah, that was uh, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah, not cool. And so after uh, one of the um, horrible side effects of this loss is the occupation of Hithlum, right? Um, Morgoth would not give fertile lands of Beleriand to the Easterlings. Instead, he gave them the relatively um, sparse uh, country of Hithlum to yeah, kind of northern barren. Yeah, yeah. So up there in Hithlum, there they enslaved the remnants of the living people there at the end of the first age, and the Easterlings were eventually defeated by the host of the Valar in the War of Wrath at the very end of the first age, and some after that fled into Eridor, and even some went further east. Yeah, went back home. And those, uh, the descendants we see in the Third Age are descendants of those people. Gotcha, the ones that we end up fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Let's get into it, guys. We mentioned it earlier in the episode. We're about to get into it. Let's talk about the Druidane of the First Age, because the Druidane are cool as fuck. Yeah, outside of, like, the uh, Numenorians. yeah. The Druidan are probably our, our favorite men characters. Outside oh, yeah. Of the, outside, of the oh Duna, yeah. outside of the Dunedain, the Druidan are probably oh, our favorite yeah. men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same. 
Does the, because uh, it has the word Edain in it, but is, mm-hmm. does Drew specifically have like a meaning for, mm-hmm. is that similar to the Edain? Uh, Edain just means man. Okay. So uh, the, 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 like the, it means like the Droog man, because remember they were called Droog earlier. Droog, yeah. Okay. Well, it, yeah. it also kind of sounds like, like Druid. Yeah. Uh, sort of, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maybe like it's the, got a, like a similar. Like the Dune Edain, men of the West. That's yeah. what the Dunedain are. There's Dunedain. Yeah. So this is the Druidain. So they're men of. I'm not sure what Dru means. I'm not sure either. But uh, they were called the Drug at one point, or the Druoth. So that could be a cool combination of things to be known as. Yeah. Yeah. We got names for them: Druidain, Druoth, Drug, uh, Woses. That's what the Rohirrim call them. <laughs> Woses. Woses. <laughs> Woses. And uh, wild men of the woods. Yeah. And so these men, they're actually heard about during all three ages and uh, they are a little shorter than most men uh average height of about four feet in fact yeah and they're very broad with heavy <laughs> this is the this is the exact it description. says it yeah we, we're not making this up very broad with heavy buttock and short egg short eggs <laughs> short legs yeah heavy buttocks and short legs so they're very uh stout folks with yep. big asses sounds like a dwarf <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah, they have a similar stature uh, and build to dwarves. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's how they're compared. Um, they have dark, uh, a dark, sparsely uh, populated hair on their head. They were they were regarded as unlovely by the Eldar. Assholes! Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's rude. rude. That's pretty rude. Yeah, they have wide faces and deep set eyes with heavy brows and flat noses. Yeah, their eyes were small and black, but they were known to glow red when they were angry or suspicious. That's weird. And uh, some had tufts of facial hair, but it was uh, not common. Yeah, it said that those who did were very proud of it, though. Oh, yeah. I believe yeah. Okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into the origins of the Druidain. So the Druidain, they were descendants of the uh, of uh, of an unknown group of men that awoke in uh, Hildorian in the beginning of the First Age. And the Druidain were constantly persecuted by other men. Uh, they left Hildorian for the West to find peace, and they may have left even sooner than the three houses of the Edain, as the Druidain were essentially already in the White Mountains when the Haladin first found them. Yeah, it's actually thought by Gondorian historians that the Druidain were the first men to ever cross the Anduin. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in Gondor, like uh, those historians, they believe that the Druidain came into Gondor from the land south of Mordor. Interesting. Okay. So when the Haladin arrived, a few hundred Druidain migrated with them into Beleriand. So some of these Druidain made it into Beleriand. And although the majority of them stayed in the White Mountains... Uh, all the way into the fourth age. Oh yeah, yeah, all the way to the end of the Lord of the Rings. We hear about the Druidain. The Druidain pretty much stuck with members of the House of Haleth. They were homies forever. Yeah, and although some dwelt in Dorlomen under Hurin, because he was Haladin. Yeah, yeah he because he he was Haladin, and yeah, uh, his mom. He lived in Brethel at one point in his youth, so some of them were were, were up there with Hurin. Yeah, when Hurin went back to Dorlomen, they uh, followed him. Uh, home. I wonder if the the Druidain, since they, you know, it says here they they came maybe from south of Mordor. Mm-hmm. If they know what happened to uh, what's her name with the Unlight? Oh, Ungoliant. Yeah, Ungoliant. Because she fled into the south too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, it depends. Ungoliant's got a couple different stories. My favorite one is Arendil found her in the south and slew her. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. 
That, yeah. Another I mean, version of the tale goes that eventually she became so hungry that she consumed herself. Yeah. That'd be hard to do, but, you know, good so, on her. She yeah. became the first singularity within Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> the black hole. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the famous attributes of the Druidane, because they've actually got some particularly cool attributes that are very unique. They have knowledge of shit that no other men have knowledge of. Or the depth of which they know is crazy. Yeah, and they're not considered the high men or no. anything. They're not the long-lived Numenorians. No. They're not the big, beautiful They're barely considered. Westerners. Yeah, barely yeah. considered. And uh, yeah, they have a great knowledge of flora. The Druidane more, know more about plants and wildlife than any among the race of men. Yeah, and they're known to craft poison darts made of various plants. Yeah, they have crazy knowledge of medicine. They said they were they were said to have pr- a tremendous powers of healing that some even the Halith believed were magical powers. Yeah, they had a crazy amount of knowledge, a particularly large amount of knowledge about the poisons used by orcs, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, crazy, right? They also had a, a tremendous knowledge of craft. They were known to be uh, amazing craftsmen of wood and stone. They were great carving, great at carving. Yeah, they still used stone tools at the time of the War of the Ring at the end of the Third Age. So they're very fond of those stone tools. Yeah, I remember Hanburi Han says, with shiny iron. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, they're yeah. still in the Stone Age, technically. Yeah. I'm curious if they just, like, forego the use of iron uh, for simplicity's sake, or if they just don't... Maybe they maybe. focus... I think they're, so, like, legit, I think they're so good at using the other two materials that they don't really have any need for metals. Yeah, they must, they must just simply not need it. Yeah. Well, they must it, be so good at what they do. I guess, I mean, that, that would kind of make sense. It sounds like they have a lot of knowledge of the land in general, so mm-hmm. they probably just know better ways to go about doing things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, they also have knowledge of magic, which is very unique among uh, the race of men. Let's talk about one of their things that are magic as fuck, and they're so cool. They're called the Watchstones. These I didn't previously know about. I thought this was really cool shit. Yeah, they're known to crash craft watchstones to protect their homes and the homes of their friends, especially the Halith, right? And when they say watchstones, they almost mean more like statues. Statues, yeah. They were uh, huge, uh, huge, larger-than-life statues of Druidan, uh, you know, much larger than you'd normally see a Druidan. Yeah, during the Third Age, during the War of the Ring, we know the some of these as the Pukulmen. Yeah, in, in Dunharrow. In, in Dunharrow, yeah, we, the, we pass by them. Right? The super, yeah, at that point, they're like super, super, super ancient, worn down to the point where their faces have barely, no features. Yeah, they're yeah. like clearly way older than anything else mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, they're pre-Numenorian, yeah. Yeah, and there's also uh, a famous one uh, of Watchstone at the crossing of the Taglin in Beleriand in the first stage. Over by Brethel? Yeah. Fun, fun, okay. Very cool. Um, there is a really, really, really cool story uh, about the Watchstones and the Unfinished Tales called The Faithful Stone. We do not have time to get into it here, but we're thinking about doing a companion piece where we read it because it's that fucking cool, you guys. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty fucking amazing. So stay tuned for that. I'm, I'm curious, though. So you say they have the knowledge of magic. What about the Watchstones was magical? Oh, uh, they come to life. <laughs> they come to life? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? You ever read Stone the story soldiers? Yet? Yeah, bro. They come to Sick. life. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Th- that's what the faithful stone is about. So to put it in, I, I guess I'll, I'll... I did it, not know this. I'll, I'll, in a nutshell, this story. Uh, there's a, f- a famous Haladin who has a, a, a Druidon friend, 
and the uh, the druidon friend has to leave to go heal his son who is sick and uh they were known to watch over the houses of the haladin right and so he created the watchstone to uh watch in his absence okay and while he's gone orcs burn the start to burn the place right mm-hmm. and the uh all of a sudden a druidon the statue disappears and a druidon appears out of nowhere and fights off the orcs and stomps out the fire oh shit and then the next day when the dude who made the watchstone comes back he's burned his legs are burned oh, oh okay okay yeah. that's so really fucking cool it's they're kind of like tied transport. to their yeah they, it's tied like to tied their to their, their their body and their spirit yeah oh the fea the fea yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah, it's a wild story. We're going to read it for a companion piece, guys. It's it's that cool. That's really fucking cool. Okay, so to end things off here, we've got a excerpt about the Druidane from The Unfinished Tales, read by Danny. They had a marvelous skill as trackers of all living creatures, and they taught their friends what they could of their craft, but their pupils could not equal them. For Druidan used their scent like hounds, save that they were also keen-eyed. They boasted that they could smell an orc to windward further away than men could see them and could follow its scent for weeks except through running water. Their knowledge of all growing things was almost equal to that of the elves, though untaught by them. It is said that if they removed to a new country that they knew within a short time all things that grew there, great or minute, and gave names to those that were new to them, discerning that which were poisonous or useful for food. Very much of the earth. I, Radagast yeah, would have got a lot great much. with these guys. Yeah, I oh, bet. Yeah. I bet Radagast knew the Druidon pretty well. I'm guessing in his wanderings. And uh, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if because uh, Aragorn knows about the Druidon and he's cool mm-hmm. with them? Remember, he gives them the Druidon forest at the end. Yeah, yeah. And they bang the drums. Remember, it's really cool. Yeah. So uh, maybe Aragorn, who's the greatest tracker of the Third Age, right? Maybe he learned how to track from Druidon. That could stand a reason. Yeah, dude. He's been uh, he's spent his uh, younger life going all over the all place, over the learning place, all right? sorts of shit. Like I'm sure he ran into some Druidane. Oh yeah, totally. I'm sure, he must have. Yeah, most well traveled. That's cool as shit. Yeah, but that's uh, that brings us to the end of this episode, guys. It's been a long one and a fun one. Um, what are some? We got some final thoughts here before we go. Yeah. So uh, regarding the race of men, specifically throughout the first age, the first age was. A pretty wild time for men. Uh, we actually had to cut this episode into two specifically because the first age section contained so much. Originally, so this much was info. one episode, but yeah, yeah. Do you guys feel like you just got an info dump? Because yeah, Ooh, boy, yeah. I uh, also thought it was interesting how the sundering of men in the first age is not dissimilar to the sundering of elves. It's kind of like a geographically driven type of diversion of of peoples, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it is. It is very similar. They start in the east and they all start working their way west and as they come across barriers they split into different groups they even get different dialects of languages and some different entire languages yeah yeah they it's it's very similar to the sundering of the elves it almost seems like they become different species at some point like with the with the druidane like they look their features are so different from all the other men yeah yeah i mean uh um not to spoil the next episode but hobbits are technically of the race of men oh yeah, I also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've also sense. really, really loved learning about the Druidane. Yes, they're uh, some of my favorite. And what's really fun is we have a Druidane section for the Second Age and the Third Age coming up. Hell yeah! Heck yeah. Yes. All right. So stay tuned for next week, our my my friends. That's going to be episode eighty three. That's going to be part two 
where we talk about the race of men throughout the second and third ages. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the KOT Podcast. We've had a hell of a time. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on new episodes. Please rate and give us a nice review if you can. And a big thank you to our patrons as always. You are such a big part of this that keeps us going. Uh, If you want to, feel free to go subscribe at patreon.com forward slash KOT Podcast. Uh, subscribing to Patreon can also unlock some exclusive content, which is kind of fun. So go check it out. Yeah, we got more of that coming up soon here too, guys. So if you're a patron, uh, watch out for that. Yeah, and if uh, if if Patreon, a regular subscription service, is not your speed, feel free. Um, you can always reach out to us for one-time private donations. We could do PayPal or other services that works for you. Yeah. Also follow us on social media. Can't stress enough. Join, join, join the Discord. Link in the description. The Discord is so much fun. I love everybody on there. We have a great time. The best way to get in touch with us and, best way. and link up with, with all our fans. And you know, we love to communicate with you guys. Yeah, we share fun memes. We you know we even talk about non-Tolkien related things. It's it's fun. Yeah, and it's if you fun. want to discuss the episodes, we have a whole section for that too. You yes. Can ask questions. We've got a question thread for each of us if you want to get to know us a little more. Yeah. Yeah, we love Discord, but it is not our only platform. We're also on the TikTok. The TikTok, we've been the TikTok. Uh, doing emphasis on TikTok lately, so check out our a few new ones that we got. Yeah, that's at keep underscore on underscore Tolkien underscore podcast. And then we're also on Twitter at KOT Podcast. Yeah, we're on Facebook at official keep on Tolkien. And we're on Instagram at keep on Tolkien podcast. Yeah, and as always, don't forget to check out our merch store, keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tml.com. We got shirts, bags, stickers. Check it all out. Yeah, check it all out. All designed by us. Yeah, we're going to have a... Friends. We we have the Shafted shirt. I know we talk about that one all the time, but we also have a Shafted 2 of the works. So yes. That's right. Get, get oh, yeah, we do. For that. We yeah, do, man. yeah. We Shafted do. 2 in the works. And then uh, the the uh, Mintered logo shirt as well. If you've seen on YouTube, we have the, the Mintered logo. It's the state of Minnesota wearing our t-shirt. It's really fucking cool uh virginia our production manager made it so check that one out too all right but that's about all we got for you today guys i'm joel n i'm danny j i'm trevor d as always keep, keep on talking oh and tulaba